Hello everyone. Happy holidays from Squiggly Animation Magazine. This is Ben Mitchell joined by Steve Henderson and Laura Beth Cowley. The gang's all here because it's Christmas. It's the Squiggly Christmas party. <laughs> We're here to spread some joy, damn it. <laughs> Whether you like it or not. How are you guys? Well. Holly, jolly. Bright. Cinnamony. <laughs> glittery. Ticked all the main boxes. Excellent. Oh, we've all that we've used the keywords, so this is officially a Christmas podcast. So uh, we've got that out of the way. Ah, uh, yeah, Christmas—that time of year where animation does Christmassy things more than it does at other times of the year—and we talk about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> think of some things. Um, uh, what's happened? The Seer animation—that was Christmassy. Oh yeah, Seer's music videos. Have you seen these? No, Seer's music videos. Seer. Uh, Further, woman I like a lot as a musician, and uh, before she got famous, but she's released a Christmas album. <laughs> Every time you say that, it's like, I liked her before she was cool. I liked her when she was cool, but not when she was popular. Who is who is this person? See she's the one that looks like a raggedy andal. You'd know her music if you heard it. It's everywhere. All well, she the time. she she used to do because I'm being too cool for the room. Back in the day, before <laughs> she was doing popular music, she had some really nice records. Um, she did like some singing with Zero Seven, so they had some hits like in the noughties, early noughties, and then did her own stuff. They were kind of acoustic-y, I guess. And now she does these anthemic power pop songs, like Chandelier is her big song uh, of late. And uh, anyway, she released a Christmas album with a trilogy of little animated Christmas music videos, ah. which we watched recently, and they're quite dreadful. Mm. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh, this is this will be something uh, nice we can uh, we can take a look at." And ish, <laughs> it really looks like someone who's learning how to do stop motion for the first time. It looks quite nice from the stills, and I think maybe I was kind of a little let down. It's the quality of the movement I think that really kind of is a surprise because it's almost like not animation. Mm. It's it's like. I'm sure we all did this. Remember when like, you were getting into animation and we've all seen, you know, oh, there's this new film, The Wrong Trousers. I want to make an animation myself. And you get a camera and you get your action figures and you, like, wiggle them about a bit. You know what it reminds me? We had um, one of the old uh, video cameras. Me and, my, me and my brother tried doing our own Wallace and Gromit and... We used to be, <laughs> we we used to press the button, but we did it didn't have an animation function, so we had to press it, stop and start it really quickly. Oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we realised that we had to have the characters actually talking as well, and so we yeah. go more Ning you, <laughs> and it yeah. just, you know, just <laughs> like to do the credit really quickly. King. Toast, <laughs> Grah. Mitt. You've you've got it. Hey. You, <laughs> up lad <laughs> you know what so with G- the, um... e e e <laughs> oh yeah of course you got to do the, the proper dope sheet <laughs> oh yeah beforehand absolutely. phonetically i think though the seer because the seer animation because the way that they've done her and there's like a dog in it for reasons i don't really understand but they're like really squat and so she they're like impossible to animate from a puppet point of view they just they have no limbs so she can only sort of like shuffle along and it reminds me of when i was learning how to do animation when i was doing like my a levels and there was a girl who was also doing plasticine animation and she'd made this like really squat little character and my tutor had the best summarization of it being like ah okay so i see what you've tried to do there but it looks like she's being perpetually moved by a series of tiny farts <laughs> <laughs> and that's what the seer animation looks like so like she's just going <laughs> It just, they have yeah. the kind of uh, South Park like movement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go. Underneath the mistletoe. I mean, it's is... not like the worst animation in the world. It's lit quite well. But it's just. Wow, damning with faint praise. <laughs> <laughs> the lighting's. Yeah, you know when we talk about the lighting. <laughs> you know when it's bad when you're like, oh, the lighting's good. Yeah. Well, y- you tried. That's the. You know, that's I just, the. I'm really confused it... as to. Because she's quite pop. She's quite famous now. She could have had anyone. I think maybe there was like a really tight maybe turnaround. Maybe she did it. No, it's, it's a guy who does. He did some for other music videos. It's sort of student film quality animation, I guess. It is. It's so, edited together quite nicely. Uh, yeah, again, again. <laughs> with uh, fake praise. I like. I like the way they uh, superimpose the snowflake effect. 
that was some nice alpha channel work there. But yeah, you're right. If if a student had done this, I'd be really impressed. Okay, so so that was a that was a very festive start to uh, to your animated Christmas, wasn't it? <laughs> We've got the grumbling out of the way. Should we talk about the BBC one, or do we want to leave that for another? Well, I mean, we we sort of mentioned um, that in the last episode. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, everyone I'm sure has seen this BBC thing. Looks good. Go on to Squiggly, and you can find out more about how it was made. The uh, not going to be on this podcast. <laughs> not uh, not because of our snobbery. They're just too damn busy. Uh, so um, well, that's what you get when you create something as nice as that. Really. Well, I liked it. Mm. There we go. That's my two cents. There you go. So like, we've balanced out everything. Things we like, things we don't like. Is there anything else Christmassy happening commercial-wise? Quite a few. That are animated? But not a huge bunch of those seen in one? England. Have talked about the John Lewis one? And nor shall we, because... Oh, uh, Moz. Moz, <laughs> Moz the monster. The language teaching monster that somehow works at John Lewis now. What? Oh, you're, you're Muzzy. Muzzy? I remember Muzzy. Muzzy, yeah. Oh, Muzzy. Yeah. Okay. I, th- I think there was a different one. Uh. <laughs> the same once. <laughs> that tape taught me nothing. Because <laughs> guess what I would do? I'd watch the English version and then I'd go do something else. <laughs> I'd never put in the French tape. A E I O U. This is why we have I so many, many problems I with Anna with you. Ben. <laughs> I don't do French. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't think of any other. Uh, Christmassy animations. That, that just the, the John Lewis uh, monster, um, which kind of fell flat. Which latched onto our heartstrings and just didn't let go. <laughs> I've literally had no one talk about that thing this year. I think if... Maybe this isn't super Christmassy, what I'm about to say, but I think if you were vaguely moved by that advert, you shouldn't be allowed to operate heavy machinery. <laughs> because of what it says about your emotional intelligence. I just find it really confusing. <laughs> the thing I don't, I'm not particularly, um, and, and it is a shame because there's been so many great um, John Lewis adverts, but at this point, they're a bit formulaic, aren't they? They're very twee. They're Maudlin. insanely twee. You, you need a, a cover song, like so a popular old song covered by a, a, a more modern artist, and then you you need a, a merchandisable character that will be sold in stores throughout the country as a toy. Although I, I suspect um, the, the the people at the you know teddy bear shredding factory are rubbing their hands, uh, looking forward to the shipments of uh, Moz dolls <laughs> that will come through uh, just to be used to stuff mattresses or something. Um, and then, they really missed the mark, mark with Moz on a kind of appeal point of view because that animal is unattractive well you don't think his scrotum nose is (laughs) adorable he's so unappealing it does wobble around a bit because i know what they were trying to do they were trying to go for like a where the wild things thing is yeah but mm, not thinking where is where the wild things are in this just why didn't you just make a where the wild things ad is everyone would have loved that it is (laughs) aggravating also to hear that song Oh. And not have it segue into carry that weight. Yeah. Like the commercial just ends without the. <laughs> no, you can't leave us hanging like that for Christ's sake. Every time. <laughs> oh, I'm sure we'll find something good to talk about by the time this podcast is finished. I mean, every every the Paddington Bear, where it sounds like he's saying "fuck you, little bear." That's quite good. What? You, have you not seen this on the news? Where you know the Paddington outfit where the robber is robbing houses and Paddington doesn't get it and then makes him see the errors of his way hang for on, Christmas. Ha- hang on, uh, Laura, I'm just typing in Paddington Bear f*** you into Google. <laughs> well, the the, gu- the robber, he, uh, like, at the end goes, thank you, little bear, for showing me, like, my, the errors of my way. But everyone has sort of gone, pretty sure he said f*** you, little bear. It. I've got it. Yeah. So it's right at the end, is it? Yeah. And so now no one can watch that advert without thinking. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh my god! That is, that is. You really close. can't. Yeah, you really can't not hear it. That is. I mean, what's Paddington done to deserve that? Really, <laughs> the sequel. This well. <laughs> 
I mean, is there any room for love this Christmas? <laughs> is, there, is there anything that's been that's caught our eye? The League of Gentlemen Christmas specials already came and went. <laughs> no, else. so oh, I'm all good. I'm all Christmassed out, frankly. They were so- yeah, number nine though, number nine. Yeah, but that's in January, isn't it? Yeah. One outfit that I think can always be relied on for a nice little Christmas film. Is our pals Blue Zoo? Mm. So they're, I mean, they've been doing a Christmas film every year for has it been four years now? Uh, they've been doing them for quite a while. It's part of their in-house uh, shorts program, isn't it? Are they doing? There's pepper them throughout the year. You know, Ben Steers' uh, Moon is one of the in-house shorts that's doing very well on festival circuits and stuff. But yeah, uh, last year you had no more stuff. Year before you had uh, more stuff. You had the little dancing elves and everything. It's it's something that they really keep up to uh, at Christmas. The slight unfortunate thing is that the year before that they did Daddy Christmas, mm. and I they've all been great since then. But that film is that's a, it sits on a pretty high pedestal for me personally. It's a very Ben film. Mm. Yeah, the last line of that film just is wonderful like anyway it always cracks me up so they've been doing good stuff for a while this film this year's film has a slightly different tone to it maybe yeah uh, it zags when you think it's gonna zig i guess mm. like there's there's less kind of um disconcerting nudity or mutant transformations or um vomit it, it sort of puts me in mind a little bit of uh Tom Murray shed's films he did uh, the uh, Wonderful Nature films that are a little bit more sort of photoreal in their approach, but the kind of similar sort of thing of like, you know, that Attenborough-esque wildlife documentary type thing, animal conflict. Yeah, It's that thing of like, as the wildlife presenter, you're not allowed to intervene with the predator-prey thing. And isn't that sad when you see something adorable get chomped up? So this film, which is called... Bird and Lynx. Lynx and Birds. I was sort of there. That, I mean, that in the title kind of uh, tells you what the main relationship is going to be. And so it sort of plays out like that. And then there's a little bit of that sort of... Uh, well, I shan't spoil it, I guess, for people who haven't seen it. But it is, I believe, freely available online for anyone to check out. It is, yeah. It's uh, been getting staff picks and all kinds of stuff. It's on the Blue Zoo Vimeo page or... Uh, it's obviously all over there, Facebook and Twitter as well, this time of year. Mm-hmm. And as is always the case with their work, boasts a lot of very, very nice art and design and animation. The animation is just wonderful. That, I would say, so far, is one of the big Christmas highlights. They go in in the uh, interview, because we've got an interview with uh, producer Tom Box and director Simone uh, Gianpaolo and uh, Francesco Mazza. Uh, I hope I pronounced those names right. But uh, and they say that obviously the the short film program brings in an awful lot of of work to the studio, and it kind of makes you think why other companies aren't really taking this approach as well. Because the UK animation industry doesn't really have that many strong short films coming out of it, like it did uh, twenty, thirty years ago. I think a lot of people convince themselves they can't afford to do it. I mean, I'm talking to two people who've made short films to great success in the last <laughs> year. So, yeah. What was that little laugh about? <laughs> was it, was it... <laughs> well, yeah. well, you know, to great success. <laughs> uh, no, sorry. Um... Well, I never. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, darling, we're leaving. No, but you guys made made uh, your own independent shorts, but that's the that's the key now. It has to be independent because there's no kind of like channel throwing money at you or any of that kind of stuff. Is it difficult being in the UK making short films? Hmm, I mean, independent filmmaking circumstances do sort of fluctuate wildly, and there are a lot of factors, be they geographical or. I think it helps yeah. if you're single. <laughs> Yeah, family circumstances. <laughs> or, and especially if you don't have children. Because mm. I imagine any spare time you have outside of working in this industry, if you have children, is taken up by children. I mean, there That's are a lot of be. factors, and I think the only way to really kind of get any kind of real insight into the legitimate feasibility of an independent production is to cast a wide net and canvas a lot of independent filmmakers from different backgrounds. Mm. Fortunately, I did that in my book, Independent <laughs> Animation. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> 
Is that the perfect which, uh, Christmas gift, Ben? <laughs> it is. It, uh, it would be if you order it two gift. days ago and that it might have gotten there in time for Christmas. It's a good Boxing Day gift. It's a good New Year's gift. It's a good I'm sorry I got you. It's a good second term of university gift. Yes, that's the one. There we go. S- send those kids back to school with What's the right uh, tools under their arm. I think it's a great thing when studios do that. I mean, I do actually think that one of the main things about independent shorts is that it's a great unifier. And you go through, okay, what would the target audience be for something like, say, these podcasts or that book or our w- website in general? Uh, people who want to make short films span students and they span people who have never made a film have never even worked in animation and then everything kind of in between and people who run studios and have these you know amazing pools of talent at their fingertips when they have that impulse to add short films to their studio output i think think that's great i think it's one of those difficult things with the whole financing for short films issue because i think a lot of people from the kind of i don't know i don't want to say the old school but i guess for me they would be that did get a lot more funding there was a lot more funding around and channel 4 was still a thing for animation they kind of got used to the fact that you know that's how they did make their films and that that's great and that's you know how ideally everyone would love to make films but i think maybe our generation is a little bit used to the idea of having to just do it for ourselves and actually for a lot of people the idea of getting funding was like you can get funded for this like a lot of people in my generation don't even think about doing that the most we'd probably get to is doing a kickstarter and doing a kickstarter is essentially like doing a full time project yeah Mm. for a month in which case you could have just made the film for some of the kickstarters that are out there the people that have made the project the time they've spent sort of putting together a kickstarter and the money and time they've probably lost doing that they could have just done the film absolutely it's a full time job a kickstarter campaign people sometimes forget that that it's something you have to maintain and manage and make sure that all the gifts are sent out. And it's I think not... it only really works if you're only doing it for like a small section of a film, like if you're going to do it for the music or mm. whatever else. But you need, if you're going to do like a proper feature film or something, you need to just sort of... You need to get funding from elsewhere. So Kickstarter is a weird one, but I guess in lieu of actually any kind of government funding, that's kind of the only thing we've got going. Well, this is why it surprises me that Blue Zoo are the only company in the UK, sort of, that are that have got this kind of programme going on in their studio, and it does produce some really nice stuff. Animate's pretty good at that, though, as well. Mm. Like, Animate's uh, yeah. always churning out little bits and bobs of films, or actual just full films all the time, and they're very rarely... And Nexus. And, and Nexus. Mm. I mean, I think quite a few studios, it is an important part of their identity. I think yeah. that... Uh, I think Ardman does... studios in- are able to devote a scheme to it like an internal scheme because they don't have the momentum that blue zoo has yeah and once a job's finished people go home and go find other jobs yeah yeah um, i think also with other companies that are like bigger that you'd expect to do is like ardman and mckinnon and so of the reason why they don't is because they're actually just really busy mm. with mm. actual corporate work so there is there isn't actually any downtime and i'm unused to the ones they have done have had a you know have been tremendously ex- successful and i think it's something they would like to do more of but and if i'm not mistaken i think that there was a kind of internal pitching element to them like i think that's how the ps sisters got made yeah, and various and one, others like fly the one, and yeah the lighthouse one yeah that era of Ardman sort of about 10 years ago at any rate no i think it's it's fantastic that luzu do this and that they kind of have i mean christmas is such a great thing to work toward because then people are like oh i wonder what the blue zoo film is going to be like this year yeah, I guess uh, I guess we could uh, hear a little bit about how the film came together from the people who actually bothered to make it, rather than us armchair critics <laughs> or armchair enthusiasts. Yes, shall we? Uh, shall we hand it over to the Blue Zoo team? Let's do. Well, I'm Tom, co-founder of Blue Zoo. And my name is Francesco, and I'm everyone's artist here in Blue Zoo. And I'm Simone Gianpaolo, and I'm an animation director in the commercial department at Blue Zoo. Fantastic. Uh, could you guys tell us a little bit about uh, Lynx and Birds, the, the wonderful new short film that's come out uh, this Christmas from Blue Zoo? Lynx and Birds uh, could be summed up as a heartwarming and gross 
Christmas story, which uh, aims to make the audience uh, laugh, smile, but also aims to give a message at the end, uh, a message of uh, against prejudice, against judging someone from the appearance. So it's the, um, the classic tale of prejudice and vomit. Yeah, the, the festive combo. Yeah. <laughs> Vomit often finds its way into uh, Blue Zoo's Christmas films. If we if we look back a couple of years, with uh... <laughs> yeah, I think it's just the, the type of people we employ. They're just a bit weird. They <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Whether whether puking or getting naked, you can <laughs> you can get wrong with one of these two options, right? Well, uh, all this chuk- uh, all this all this talk of puking and vomiting is uh, and, and nakedness is making me feel very Christmassy. It's, yeah, uh, I, don't, yeah. I don't know how you spend your Christmas day, Steve. But. <laughs> <laughs> I must be weird. Um, <laughs> well, speaking about the the, the in-house shorts program, um, why, yeah. why was this set up, Tom? And 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 how is it? Why is it such an important part of of, of Blue Zoo? Um, well, we really set up the shorts program as, you know, as most uh, animators always want to make their own short films. And we set up the short films program to try and really address that where we, for years, we like started making our own films, then then stopped when we got busy and then had a new idea. So we ended up with loads of half-finished short films. So we decided uh, about six years ago, I think it was, to take a bunch of our kind of ring fence, some of our profit, and then treat... Uh, the short films we make as proper projects where they're assigned staff and they're not just asked to try and fit them in and around other projects and and to try and do a couple a year and one of the, the biggest reasons is to push our studio forward because most kind of like companies and agencies will ask us to make stuff like we've made in the past where they see something on a showreel and say hey you you made that thing can we have one like that and that kind of stagnates your company so we really did it to try and break out of the, the current work we're doing and aim our studio in the future. So they're, they're really where we want to go, not where we've been. Uh, so when coming up with the briefs, we try and allow them to be very flexible and creative, but at the same time, uh, nudge them in that kind of direction, which is quite hard to make a, a brief that's uh, quite focused, but at the same time, very free. And that's one of the biggest challenges with the brief side of it. And then we, we, we open up to everyone. So everyone in the studio is welcome to, um, to put a pitch in and present them to the entire studio. And then uh, everyone votes. And the one with most votes goes into production the next day. So it really gives anyone in our studio the opportunity to direct a short film with the backing of the studio's resources. Fantastic. Um, maybe Francesco and Simone can tell us about that pitch process, about when you guys got up and pitched Lynx and Birds. Uh, it was, uh, since when I, I met Simone, uh, we always thought about doing a personal project together. So as soon as we had this opportunity in the studio, we decided to, to talk a bit and decide to, to have an idea together and to, to, to start doing lots of sketches about the story for, to propose the idea. So it started a bit like, like a personal project, but we had the support of all the studios, so it was really nice to, to work on it, and it was a really great opportunity for us. Fantastic. On the day, on the day itself, how is it set up? Is, is it, um, Simone, is it you guys stood up at the front, and uh, Tom and uh, Ollie and Adam are stood there with a big gong, or how's, how's it oh, work? Oh, no, absolutely. It's very, uh, everything is very open and democratic in terms of... Uh, transparency like the pitch is not made is not uh, given is not presented in front of the bosses the pitch is presented in front of the whole studio which is a bit uh, nerve-wracking at first uh, but it also gives the possibility to have a, a wider vote which which means you know the the, the wider the audience the, the better it is to select the idea I guess it's it's more faithful the uh, the selection and um, uh, and how, how does it happen? In this, this year, there were around 10 ideas, so everyone got five to six minutes time to present its own idea. Uh, some people drew a few sketches, some people just told the story, just narrated the story while uh, showing some concept art. Uh, 
Uh, we did a, a very short storyboard to illustrate the story, which helped, of course. And uh, afterwards, uh, the whole studio had a three, four days to vote. And uh, after this voting process, we got, uh, we received the news, the piece of news that uh, we got uh, accepted. Fantastic. I suppose, pictured in front of the entire studio, you must have been inundated with people who want to work on particular projects afterwards, uh, people who want to, say, rig or model or, or, or light uh, the films. Is that how it works? Um, we generally, after, after the short film starts, or right before the short film starts, we asked uh, who, who would like to participate hmm. and how many people. Some people spontaneously come to us and, and suggest, hey, can I animate? Hey, can I, can I do your concept art? Can I help in texturing? Unfortunately, we try to accommodate everyone. We did it in the past, especially with uh, no more staff, more staff, commuter glitch. Hmm. Uh, not all the time, like on Linksenberg, unfortunately, we didn't manage to accommodate everyone for a schedule. Uh, for schedule reason and budget reason, we couldn't, we didn't manage to uh, hire uh, all the people who wanted to participate. But we always try to to take on board as many artists as possible. And from a studio management point of view, one of the things we've done this year after previous projects, we did struggle to free people up because obviously on a big production where there's like 40 people working on a big TV series. It's very hard just to borrow a few of that, those, those staff. The line managers don't really like us <laughs> pinching their staff when they've got this kind of like highly efficient schedule where not a single day is wasted. So what we did is we actually added um, extra holiday time to those projects paid for by the company. And then we used that. So essentially those, those projects had more holiday cover paid by the studio, which came out of the short budget. So it allowed those people working on those big projects to actually participate still rather than it just being just the commercials team, which has the flexibility to, to take the projects on. Yeah, the, the, sh uh, the short film program at Kunzui is, uh, is amazing for artists, one of the best chances we get here to express ourselves, but it's a big pain in the, in the arse for, uh, for, the produ for the producers. <laughs> I, sometimes they don't like having the short film program in the way, but that's, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, but, but it but, does, it generates a lot of new business for us. And we've had some fantastic projects come in because the, 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 the shorts, you know, do the sales for us where we don't, you know, we don't have a sales team at Blue Zoo. We just have, we just put our work out there and see what happens. Fantastic. Um, yeah, well, absolutely. And, and, and uh, I think Lynx and Bird has been, has been reaping in some success. You recently got the, uh, the short of the week. Is that right? Uh, yeah, staff Vimeo picks, sorry. Pick. Sorry, you recently got the Vimeo staff picks. Uh, I've seen a picture of you guys holding a big bottle of uh, what looks uh, like something very bubbly. <laughs> yeah, that's on uh, on Friday. We uh, yeah, they, they let us know we we'd been awarded that, and it's so it's it was a nice end of the week. So I had a few bit of champagne to to celebrate. Excellent. The film itself is is a tremendous. Well, it looks like a tremendous technical achievement. The lighting, the modelling. Uh, the animation is uh, absolutely beautiful for, for a two-minute short. I mean, you'd be a fool to, to maybe think that a, a short film would require less attention to detail, but the attention to detail in it is absolutely stunning. Um, maybe talk us through how the story developed. Well, I mean, would, did the story, was it always about a lynx and a bird, and, and was there always this David Attenborough-esque um, narrator in there? Where did, it, where did this idea come from? Do you, you want to go for the story? I, I'll go. Um, the narration came a little later, uh, to, be, to, be, uh, to be honest. It, it, was, uh, it started as a, as a piece with uh, beautiful orchestral music and storytelling, but no narration. At some point, we decided to, to go for it, and, uh, and we, we tried a few animatics with the narration, with the voice, and we noticed, oh, actually, that could really work. So I, without telling anyone at Blue Zoo, I, I sort of started stalking Sir David Attenborough. I found out where he lived, and I sent him a letter asking, hey, would you like to, to participate? Would you like to be our narrating voice? Uh, he rejected, but he answered with a, with a handwritten letter saying, uh, oh, uh, it's a lovely idea, but I cannot, uh, I cannot take this chance at the moment. 
P.S. Stop saying that's on my hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that, that's that's how the narration came, uh, and and to end with, we we got a very very talented uh, uh, impression artist called uh, Darren Altman, which made a wonderful job, and it really sounds like uh, Sir David Attenborough. Uh, in terms of story, yeah, it's always been one links. Uh, and uh, originally one bird, yeah. then we added that we wanted to give more more depth, more a stronger bond to to the story, uh, a bit of a more emotion. More, yeah, except more more emotion to um, um, more emotion, which was uh, against this threat, which is represented by the lynx. So we added the chick, we added the sun. So there was this loving relationship between mother and son, and on the opposite side, the threat, which then becomes the provider. Mm. Mm. The predator becomes the provider is the, uh, the, the, the line in the film, which I quite liked. Yeah. Excellent. Um, how, how important is this creative outlet for somebody like yourself, Francisco, the... Um, the idea to be able to create these films on the side at, at Blue Zoo. And how does, it, how does it work with your own day job? I mean, do you guys get full time off to work on these short films or is it uh, evenings and weekends or...? Uh, actually, I had, I'm working on a series right now. Mm. Uh, so I have like uh, a high-paced like, deadline every day uh, because we have to deliver concept. But I had the chance to have three weeks free just for the concept art and for all the pre-production. So that was really amazing because I had the chance to focus just on the Linksenberg and all the all the concept and the character. Actually, it was a really long process to get the character done because uh, the Lynx was quite a challenging character because it was really hard to 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 find references of the anatomy of the Lynx. So we we, we were looking for a shaped Lynx on the internet, but I think people don't like to shape Lynx, so. Uh, so in the end, we, we merged like a lot of animals with the skeleton, skeleton on the links. So in order to, 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 give, to give references to the artists, to the, to the modelers. And, and yeah, so I had two weeks in total to, to do all the backgrounds and all the trees and, to, uh, and to, to do all the drawings in the end. And after that, I, I took a couple of hours every day from my main series just to follow the other artists, the lighter and the modelers, and to give feedback so we had a cohesive style in the end. Excellent. I, th I think it, it makes it a very efficient process when the director's also doing all the concept development. It, it cuts out a lot of kind of iteration stuff because, <laughs> you know, Francesco can go, go straight to what's in his mind. So it, it made it kind of very, very efficient from that, that side of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was through letters. So I was talking every time I, I did like a couple of drawings, I was talking with Simone. And it was actually really easy to achieve the style we wanted because we, we, we started together talking about the story. So we had the same idea in mind and it was actually really fun, really fun to, to, to do the concept of it. Yeah. Excellent. The one of the bits I, I really that really sort of stood out for me is the obviously I've talked about the lighting and the texturing, but there's bits where the lynx is walking and he goes into the snow, and that's a lovely little detail. I mean, I, I feel I feel almost uh, sorry that that's the thing I'm pointing out about this film that's full of fantastic detail and character animation and and, and, and things like that. But it's the fact that he's stepping on snow, which is the thing I took away from it. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, you're, you're right. You're right. That uh, that's like that's that's exactly what my dad said the first time. Uh, he saw that one first shot of Lynx's paw in the foreground. Said, "Oh my God, the snow is is moving. It's moving <laughs> under the paw." It's like, oh yeah, that's uh, yeah. Thanks uh, for noticing <laughs> that. You know, it's all out of focus and blur. But yeah, that's. That's what makes the difference, I guess. Yeah. I just had a, a message from Bjorn at the line, who's from, uh, he's Norwegian, and he, he said he approves of the snow being his, uh, <laughs> having a lot of experience with it. So oh. that's, uh, that's a nice tick of approval from a fellow yeah, yeah. Norwegian person uh, yeah. approving of the snow dynamics. <laughs> Excellent. I think me and your dad would get on Simone. We're, uh, yeah, <laughs> snow, snow people, that would work very well. Um, excellent. Well, the short, the short obviously has some fantastic character animation in there, and that's something I, I know that Blue Zoo is really um, 
pushing. We've had uh, Bader Badrudding come up to the Manchester Animation Festival to give some fantastic character uh, workshops, and recently uh, Anim Dojo uh, has been has been launched. Um, maybe if we could talk a little bit about the importance of of sort of fostering that creativity within the studio and and the idea of learning and teaching uh, for the future of Blue Zoo. Yeah, I mean, we, we think it's really important, one, to provide the opportunity to, to create kind of new projects like our short films, but also the opportunity to develop. And we're very, very fortunate to have a lot of excellent animators like Simone uh, at Blue Zoo, but we found there's a lot of people that who are, who are so incredibly passionate about animation but didn't have the, the just the right skills in their show and needed a bit of a helping hand. And as animators, it kind of like really kind of pained us to see those people who are really kind of struggling to get that that foot in the door. So really, we we felt uh, with our the way we've approached animation at Blue Zoo and some of the shortcuts we've found to make uh, the quality that we expect our uh, our animators to produce and that we expect our output to be like. We really felt we could um, pass some of those tips on to animators to really help very easily kind of up their game, and that's really what the, the what the catalyst for Anim Dojo was really just to, to pass on some of the knowledge that we use to to make kind of high quality character animation. Is there an, is there an issue with students leaving university without that required skill set? I mean, it, what we find is just um, you know there are, there are many fantastic universities, and sometimes. The, the skills they have, they have great skills, but they're, they're, there's sometimes a gap between the skills you need for making a six-month kind of beautiful final animation piece and the skills you need for making kind of like 20 seconds a week of, or whatever it is, 20, sec 20 or 30 seconds a week of kind of cartoony TV animation. And we, we really wanted to help people hit the ground running and uh, and really try and get them more more ready for the the more uh, purposeful purposeful kind of industry skills you need rather than just pure the purely the theoretical skills. Excellent. Um, I suppose it might be a little bit too early to look into next year, but what's what's coming up from Blue Zoo then besides Anim Dojo and and hopefully more. Uh, animated shorts either at Christmas or throughout the year because I know Ben Steer's film Mamoom is doing very well uh, yeah. on the festival circuit at the moment what else is coming from Blue Zoo? Um, well, we've got uh, another short being released in uh, in the early 2018 which is uh, Via or Bia by uh, Izzy Burton so she's one of our concept artists and she's been kind of like uh, collaborating with others in the studio to make uh, a very kind of emotive short film based on a, a poem so we've got that one coming out soon, and then in the new year we'll be starting the next short. I think we try and make one for uh, for a summer release uh, for our next one. Uh, haven't given that a minute's thought yet. It's been such such a busy year. Uh, usually uh, I'll, I'll try and think of a brief last minute in in January to give people a good few months to um, to make that one. Um, but then in the studio we've got loads of kind of big projects coming up. So I think we're going into our uh, our busiest year to date next year which is always nice because sometimes at animation studio it can be a bit of a tumbleweed kind of time of year where you're crossing your fingers that come January the phones will start ringing again and, and jobs will come in but we do have quite a lot lined up already so it's it's a nice way to end the year and begin the new yeah. one that's great and hopefully the, the whole point actually of making these short films apart from having fun and giving a bit of our personal input is is to attract new new business, attract new projects, attract new potential clients. And that's what happened in the past with, uh, with the previous uh, short films. And it's not only attracting clients, it's also attracting artists as well, because the, the, it's very competitive out there. So many studios have got so much work on. And, you know, there's a lot of competition between different companies to employ artists. So it's one of the things we do offer our artists is that opportunity to make their own short film studio, in it, which is really important that people see Blue Zoo as, as, as a really kind of friendly, creative, collaborative place to work. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, I suppose yeah. if people want to... Uh, sorry, uh, Simone, after you. No, no, no that's, that's exactly what, uh, what, what I meant, what, what Tom said. In, so we, we don't know what's going to happen in January. Maybe someone will see Links and Birds and, and call us. 
for uh, an exciting project. That's what happened uh, a few years back with uh, more stuff and no more stuff. There are always some new chances coming up when people see and appreciate your your short film online. And that's one of the main reasons we, we keep pushing our short film program, I guess. Fantastic. There's not really, I don't think there's really enough of this kind of thing made by, by studios across the UK. All this talent is... Uh, um, not, I'm not going to use the word restricted, but I've just said the word restricted by the uh, by the you know the conformity of making the the the, uh, the day job, the TV series and things like that. So it's lovely to see um, Blue Zoo and a few other companies uh, create um, animated shorts um, in the UK for uh, to, to to support the market and everything. I think it's from our, uh, it's really important for us because. When uh, you're a, te- uh, you're a it's, sorry, it's really important for us because when you're an animation studio, you produce a lot of long form, especially long form kids TV, and you're, you might be producing a couple of series a year. You can really kind of like uh, be looked at as just this kind of like uh, factory churning out endless amounts of animation, which is, isn't seen as creative, even though actually when the craft that goes into it is extremely creative. So the shorts really help kind of rebalance that to show that we're not just churning endless amounts of content out we actually are hugely passionate and full of uh, full of artists and animators who are uh, have got absolutely amazing skills no matter what they're making uh, so the music in the shot uh, is just as important as the narration i suppose so could you tell us a little bit about the music sure uh Simone, do you want to say about how the music came about uh, when we first pitched the idea we uh, envisioned this uh, lovely fairy tale with a sort of a orchestral, very melodical uh, soundtrack, sort of um, uh, such as Peter and the Wolf, that was our reference at first. So we approached different composers and we let them pitch their own, uh, their own vision, their own interpretation. And after a bit of research, we decided to go for Brolyman, a very talented composer who made this wonderful soundtrack and also gave us a chance to work with a 40-piece orchestra, which was uh, unbelievable. It was like uh, goosebumps for, for over one hour, uh, listening to, to a whole orchestra playing to your short. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very good feeling. Nothing, nothing compared to you know, uh, digital music. You can't really compare it. Once you are there in the room, you, you really feel the difference. An early Christmas present for you all, I'm sure. That was, that was a great Christmas present, yeah. yeah. Uh, what was the, 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 one of the, the biggest uh, challenges for this short, and uh, which came up the other day talking to Francesco? Maybe you can say about the design of, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the biggest challenge about design was uh, to to manage to keep all the shapes of the characters graphic in a way, even if we had a lot of details inside because fully is really detailed. But we we really wanted to have really nice and and clean silhouette in the end, so you could recognize every character uh, even from far away. And another challenge was to keep the color palette really, really limited. So we decided to use just the three primary colors and the purple, uh, pinkish for, for the backgrounds. And it was really challenging to manage to keep the simplicity till the end of the of the production. Because sometimes during the, during the production, if it's really long, like five months, you the, the risk is that you lose track of the first decision you, you, you had and you get lost with a lot of details. So. The challenge was to keep it really simple and really graphic in a way. So, yeah. Fantastic. Translating the very nice uh, 2D illustration by Francesco into 3D. That was one of the biggest challenges for the team. Yeah. Fantastic. If people want to see Lynx and Birds, where would they need to go? They need to point their uh, computers at Vimeo and, and, and type in Blue Zoo. Um, or you can go to our, our website or um, social feeds. It's, it's plastered all over it. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, so, Tom, Francesco and Simone, thank you very much for talking to Squiggly today and uh, have a Merry Christmas. You too, Steve. Cheers. Thank you. You too. Bye. Cheers. And you can see more of the work of Blue Zoo at blue-zoo.co.uk. 
Usually around this time of year, there's some kind of animated holiday special. And it would uh, sure help fill up some time if there was one this year. There is. Hooray! (laughs) The Christmas (laughs) podcast is back on track. This is another special from our pals at Magic Light, is that right? Absolutely, and Triggerfish being the animation company that's put it together. Yeah, uh, so it's uh, Yaron Yaspart, the director of Stickman, uh, worked with Triggerfish to create Stickman, obviously. And uh, he's back with uh, The Highway Rats, another Julia Donaldson, Axel Scheffler, mixed with animation and Rob Brydon Christmas extravaganza. Tremendous. What's the premise? It's about basically a very nasty rat who's very greedy uh, and likes to steal cakes and buns and biscuits and goodies from from people in this town. Uh, And then he's tricked into going into a cave. And what happens next... Well, you'll have to tune in on Christmas Day to find out then. Uh, beyond Stickman, what other kind of stuff has this chap done? Uh, he's done bits and bobs in 2D, basically. He's a, he's a 2D animator uh, by trade, but then went on, moved on to direction uh, in, in CG. Did a lot of work on Bing as well, which was a, a CG uh, anima- animation uh, about a, a rabbit, if you, I'm sure you remember. Uh, those of you listening with kids... Well, I'm sure we'll learn a little bit more. Uh, shall we hear from Yoran uh, himself? Absolutely. Let's. Yoran uh, Yaspart, thank you very much for talking to Squiggly today. Uh, the director of the latest, uh, as I said, the Julia Donaldson, Axel Scheffler, Magic Light Pictures uh, collaboration, uh, The Highway Rat. Thank you very much for talking to us, Yoran. Uh, um, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Yes, very happy we're we're done, and we um, we have a film a film I'm really happy with to uh, to show to um, to the whole of Britain. Well, uh, I'm sure the whole of Britain will tune in because we've we've had uh, the Gruffalo, the Gruffalo's Child, Stickman, Room on the Broom. It seems to be part and parcel of the Christmas tradition now, doesn't it? Having one of these magic light uh, uh, films uh, on a Christmas day. It, it is actually the um, we we did a press release for Highway Reds um, last year, and a lot of people mistook it for a Christmas special last year. So there were there were quite sort of upset voices on the internet when they realised um, there wasn't a Julia Donaldson adaptation last Christmas, and they had to wait another year. Of course, of course, it was revolting rhymes, wasn't it last year? It was, yeah, it was revolting rhymes, a double part um, last year. Uh, let giving uh, Roald Dahl a little bit of uh, a little bit of the limelight, which is nice. Exactly. He deserves it. Nobody knows about him, so it's good that (laughs) people get to know his work. One of the things that struck me about The Highway Rat was that it seems a little bit more, in the render, a little bit more plasticine-y, and I think that's probably down to the gorgeous lighting and texturing that the film's clearly got. Given that the original source is, uh, you know, very clearly 2D illustrations, were there ever, ever conversations about making this film an animation in, in 2D or traditional, um, or going full stop motion? We, we discussed it um, quite sort of early on, and it's it's um, uh, it's basically, we, we work in the beginning with Axel Scheffler, the illustrator. Um, he's actually happier that we go the more uh, rounded look, because it's it feels like a world that Julia and Axel have created, but it's not trying to copy their world. Um, he would be more upset if if people like me and other animators would try to draw in his drawing style, and it would never really hit exactly the way he would draw his um, his characters. So quite early on, we we decided to to do it in a in a CG style. Um, I, I I myself I really like the the kind of stop motion look of things. Uh, my, my background itself is is, a, is I come from a two D background and. I often find CG productions just a little bit too slick looking or a little bit too perfect. So I, I really get lots of pleasure from trying to manipulate CG into a look that is not as polished looking. Um, ironically, it's twice the amount of work that's needed because the, the computer wants to do everything perfectly anyway. So, so all the work that goes into making the characters imperfect and um, doing the texturing as if there are they are little painted characters with little paint mistakes and paint blobs and things like that. It, it, it doubles the amount of work, but it makes it very satisfying to see the characters and when you have that ambiguity that you don't really know what the style actually is. And it was more effort put into that for this particular production, or is it a case that Absolutely. the... Yeah. 
Um, but, but, um, I directed Stickman as well, and it's a similar style, but I, I almost feel like we've, we've, we've nailed it completely this, this time, where, where um, we, we knew we wanted to get that sort of hand-sculpted, almost maquette-like look, and um, I worked with the same studio, Triggerfish Animation, in um, South Africa, so it, it was almost the same team, so we, we could almost take all our expertise from Stickman but then actually use the time to, to improve on it and, and um, yeah, pushing the boat basically on getting it um, to look like little sculpted figurines that were also sort of painted. Um, it, it was quite interesting in a way that we, we forced uh, the whole team to, to think of it as maquettes. So, for instance, the, the Highway Red, um, we had to think of him as 15 centimeters tall. And so everyone who worked on, on him had to keep that in mind, the size of the character, which sort of dictated as well the amount of detail we could put into him, um, the amount of paintwork he could have. So, so it, it was almost um, forcing the sort of CG people, digital people, to think of it as, as a tactile, handmade prop. Excellent. I, d I don't think I've ever, I've ever heard of that approach before, actually having that size in mind, because it would be quite easy to go into the nitty-gritty detail and think about the whiskers being hair or, or, or however it's done. Um, are there things that you can do in CG that you can't do elsewhere um, or you couldn't have done with stop motion? Um, I, I think it's, the, it's quite an ambitious uh, story. And, and I, I think so when you look at the camera work and, and everything, it's, CG just gives you much more freedom to, um, to, to play with. Um, also, what I find um, is we managed to make the characters just a little bit more expressive. I... I really like CG when, um, when when you feel this the sort of the, the the basic nature of that. I think a good example is the actual BBC One trailer at the moment to promote their Christmas special is a is a stop motion film, um, and it, it's got that, that quirkiness and, and it sort of it allows you into the story. But there is a limit to how much expression you can give to the characters. Um, whereas knowing we had a very expressive horse and um, quite a flamboyant rat who in every shot is trying to show off, um, it, it just makes it easier to treat it um, as, as, as one final full-on CG uh, production. Um, but I, I just feel, which is very interesting, and, and, and I, I think the future will be like that, it, it doesn't mean because you do it in CG that it needs to be in a certain style. You can still discuss the style and the look of a film even if you do it completely digitally. Yeah, um, you mentioned the very flamboyant rat there. Um, he's he's quite a horrible character. Uh, he's probably probably the most. <laughs> You're reselling it. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's quite, he's quite a horrible character. I mean, but it, he's is a daddy, it, yeah. he, But is it a challenge to direct such an unlikable character? Out of all the sort of um, the Sheffler Donaldson characters, he's he's quite the quite the bully, isn't he? He's the meanest out of all her books, um, and it's it's part of the reason why I chose this book to adapt. Um, coming off Stickman, Stickman is the ultimate nice guy. He's he's always helpful, and whatever you throw at him, he, he deals with it in a positive way. Um, and and I just I relish the thought of doing the opposite, playing with with someone who's greedy and mean and selfish, and and still make him likable. Um, and, and that was indeed a challenge. I've, I've done many drafts um, where I developed him, where he was just too mean, um, to an extent where when I tested it with, with audiences, um, they would even say, Ooh, I wish he would get lost in the cave and never, never get out of the cave anymore. So you, you almost felt he's, he's so mean that, that the audience wouldn't root for him um, anymore. So I, I think we managed to, to get that nice, fine balance of He's a genuine baddie. He is mean and greedy and, and he steals. And yet you're going to root for him. You'll, you'll like him throughout the story. Um, the way we achieve that is to give him almost a childlike quality. You know how children sometimes can be quite nasty, sort of playground style, or, or even tell a child to split a, a biscuit in two with a friend, how, how dreadful it is having to share with someone else. Um, and we went more for that angle, the, the more childlike selfishness. And, and that made him almost recognizable, but also quite delightful um, in a way. Um, specifically also what we managed to do was make sure that the relationship between him and his horse is still that of two buddies. Um, and it, it sort of showed that even if he's mean and he robs and, and he, he frightens the other animals uh, on the highway, 
underneath that there's still a nice guy and, and that's portrayed in the relationship with this um, with his horse mm. um, I suppose the idea of, of, of the character in itself comes a lot from the adaptation because uh, obviously it's adapted from a children's book with a lot of interpretation into the way that the the, the parents read the character but I think in, in, in your film the cave becomes more of a pivotal moment and, yeah. the, and the cake shop is more of a shot at redemption than it appears in the book I'm, I'm really putting it up on a pedestal here yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, um, we're always doing spoiler alerts so I want to be careful that I don't say too much but the uh, uh, when I read the book um, I, I loved it I loved the like I said the fact that it was a, a baddie but also the, the world that was created, the character of the rat, and my only worry was what happens on the two last pages of the book? In, in one page spread, he's in a cave, the other page, he's, he's in a cake shop. And there's no explanation how he gets there, uh, what has happened to him. So I, I knew for me to make the story work, was it was pivotal to get the, the cave section right. Um, and and it's, it's sort of the difference between um, a book and, and filmmaking, where because it's a children's book for quite young ages, the, the, the repetitive nature um, and the fact that the character doesn't evolve as much is, is nice as a storybook because you, you can almost sort of feel like it's the same character and you, and you get to know him. But um, as a half-hour film, you, you just want more character development. So I, I took the liberty to, to make him almost more and more evil throughout the story, but that meant that in the cave, he needed to redempt. He he need to um, he need to redeem himself. He needs to see the error of his ways. So I used the cave, the 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 scary nature of the cave, and the fact that he's all alone, surrounded by his echoes, um, to 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 make him realize and see himself through the eyes of his victims. So that when he leaves the cave, he's a completely different person than when he entered. He he enters as the biggest baddie, but he will exit as as a different kind of character. Mm. You mentioned earlier on uh, comparing the, the highway rat to a child, to a selfish child. Uh, and the, the film is obviously, uh, you know, perfect family viewing. People have got kids or people who just want to indulge in some, uh, some lovely animation. But who's at the top of your mind when you're directing a film such as this? I, I always see this as a family entertainment. Um, I, I, I notice it with Stickman when there were more parents reacting online saying how much they loved it or, or, or they would rather watch it again than their children or, or other way around. But it, it feels it feels like the fact that we, we do these films and we we got a Christmas Day viewing, so we always hope for, for um, a slot on the 25th of December. It, it means it's as much for parents as it is for, for children. And so we call it family, um, an event family viewing. Um, so... I try to adapt the story in a way that, that parents would get as much out of it um, um, as, as children. So for children, they'll have the, the adventure and the, 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 you know, the, the, the desire for sweets, which, which child would not relate to that. Um, and for parents, there are nice underlying uh, themes about friendship, um, but also how, how to treat each other. And um, you can almost use the film as well to sort of if you would deal with a bully uh, at school, how can you deal with that? Or understanding that bullies are often playing an act and there might hopefully be a nicer person behind that mask. And so there, there are some of these themes that, are, that I try to weave into the story, which, which hopefully will make it um, satisfying for the parents as well. Mm, absolutely. Uh, well, we know that uh, the, I suppose, lucky charm Rob Brydon He's back, uh, voicing thing. But uh, David Tennant is the uh, the voice of the highway rat himself. How how difficult is it casting these things? It, it's one of my favorite things to do, really, because you have you have these sort of meetings in an office, and you say, well, "Who shall we have this time?" And um, the sort of the, there are no barriers. We we can, we can literally sort of do a bit of some blue sky thinking and say, "Who would be perfect for it?" Um, and specifically with the Highway Reds, um, normally we play a little game at work where we, we write a top five of actors we would like to, to work with or do who we see for the character. And um, David Tennant was on everyone's top top of the list, so there was not much um, negotiation about it, really. Um, going back to the fact that he's a baddie, but, but yet really delightful, and you'll be rooting for him, a lot of it is thanks to David Tennant. He makes um, he makes his belly really charismatic, um, and it's the reason I picked him. You, you you know how dark David Tennant can get into roles, 
and yet everyone will always adore him. So he was the perfect casting for uh, for this red wing. Fantastic. Um, where's where's oh, I've got my question? So, um, what, what do you use to make the film? What what's the the main? Uh, is it is it done in mire? Is it done in mud box? Is it a, a big mixture of absolutely everything? It's uh, it's mainly Maya. So what what we um, it, it all starts very um, um, very simple. Where, where um, I, I normally create um, with a small team, so the storyboard and an animatic, and we, we use whatever uh, we, we use TV paint and flash, and we sort of make a, a very simple um, uh, animatic based on that. Um, we we also actually um, talking back about uh, the, the stop motion look. We we sculpted all the characters in plasticine. Um, so, so before we even took it into Maya or into a digital um, format, we we actually um, hand sculpted all the characters, and we did um, the technique called photogrammetry, where we you take many, many, many pictures of this uh, maquette, this sculpt, and it turns it into uh, a digital uh, character, which then gets cleaned up and enhanced in uh, in, in, in ZBrush. Um, but the the sort of the, the from then onwards, the, the real modeling of the world, um, the rigging and the animation, everything gets done in uh, in Maya. Um, the the lighting we did in Arnold's, and then all the final compositing we did in uh, Nuke. Fantastic. Uh, we have to ask every single year, which one's next? <laughs> we don't know. Um, for me, I'm 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 happy this one is done, and I want to see it as a as a viewer on. Um, on, on television, so there's there's always talks about what what would be the ideal uh, next one. And when I talk to people, everyone has a different favorite one. So it's always hard to uh, to predict which will be the um, the next one. Mm. Do uh, do you often do you always reach for the um, Julia Donaldson Axel Scheffler books? Or obviously last year uh, there was Roald Dahl made by Magic Light Pictures. But uh, what's the what's the deal uh, in the office? Is it is it always a safe bet that it's going to be a or safe enough bet, I suppose, that it's going to be one of those books? Um, normally, at Magic Land Pictures, we, 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 we try to make sure we, we secure this, this, um, this sort of once-a-year Christmas special. Um, so, so it's definitely uh, a kind of animated film we want to make and, and try to do it as, as, often as, uh, as often as we can. Um, it all depends on the BBC as well. They need to commission us. Mm. Um, the, the nice thing with, with these stories is... Um, the BBC themselves would ask, when could you do the next one? So they, they, they love these films and they love the stories and the fact that um, Julia Donaldson and Axel Scheffler are so popular, they, they just know there will be um, a, a nice sort of campaign behind it to, to really push it uh, forward as, as a special event, really. Um, but as Magic Light themselves, they are a production company, so they, they look at all different kind of things and, and that's why they, um, they developed the Royal Dahl Revolting Rhymes um, last year. Um, I personally, the, the reason I did um, Highway Red was based on the success of Stickman, where um, Stickman had just been finished and we, we got more than 9 million views on Christmas Day. So I got immediately the question, we would like to do another Julia Donaldson, which one would you like to do? So I got, I got offered to direct another film, but it was part of the Julia Donaldson um, selection, basically. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And do you have in mind... Yaron, it's a very cool question. But which which ones? Which one would be the best challenge for you next? Which one? Which one's your favourite? I've, I've got many favourites. I I like um, oh, I, I like Tiddler, Snail on the Whale, Scarecrow's Weddings. When I'm reading these, I'm constantly thinking that would be a nice film. That would be a nice film. But on the other hand, you also think, um, oh, but there's a lot of work to get to get that done. So so it, it's really. Is a bit of an yeah an open book, no pun intended. Where um, whatever book we would choose, um, you just know you, you need you need to have a lot of development time to turn it into an animation friendly uh, story. Because as as popular as those books are, they are only seven minutes long when you would read them as a bedtime story. So it, it requires a lot of time and effort to turn them into film scripts. Um, so so yeah, so so they are they're great to do, but they are almost as much work as sort of starting with a blank uh, canvas sometimes so uh, so yeah so whatever title might be might be the next one it it, it will always be uh, quite a, a, a tricky one to do absolutely i mean each one with its own its own different tricks i suppose uh, 
when he didn't mention the smartest giant in town. So if you can stick that on your list for my nephew, uh, be absolutely <laughs> See, what you, Everyone always has different, uh, different <laughs> favourites. <laughs> um, fantastic. Oh, Yaron, uh, yes, Pat, thank you very much for talking to Squiggly today about the Highway Rat, which everyone can enjoy this Christmas. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing it again myself uh, with uh, with the nieces and nephews in tow. At 4.45pm on BBC One, Christmas Day. Excellent. I'm sure everyone will mark it in the calendars now. Thank you. Great. Thanks a lot. Merry Christmas. So if you want to watch The Highway Rat, you can do so on Christmas Day at 4.45pm uh, on BBC One. Just before you take your uh, post-Christmas dinner afternoon snooze, it'll... Uh... I'm sure it'll be a nice little addition to the day. Good stuff. Well, I think that was a nice bit of seasonal positivity before the actual day itself. Enjoy. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us for our Christmassy podcast. And, uh, yes, yeah, so usual Christmassy podcasty wrap-up. We're Squiggly, the animation magazine. We're at squiggly.com. Uh, uh, on Twitter, at Squiggly. On Instagram, at Squiggly Animation. Facebook, Squiggly Magazine. I'm on Twitter, at Minna Mitchell. Steve is at Mr. Underscore S Underscore Henderson. Laura is at LB Cowley. Let's go with that one. So thank you to the team at Blue Zoo and Yarn at Magic Light. And uh, hope you enjoy their films. They're rather good. And until the new year, um, I, I'm done with you. Merry Christmas. See you later.